We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And boy, does it feel good to put a couple extra bowels at the beginning of that. But boy, were we close to disaster last night. I believe there was a I'm so effing pissed off right now text in the thread last night. But a miraculous Matt Ryan 3 off of a sweet skip pass by Austin Reeves and a great flare screen by AD on a wonderful ATO drawn up by Darvin Ham sends the game into overtime. Then LeBron, AD, and Lonnie Walker and the whole crew combined to carry it home in overtime. Lakers get a 120 to 117 overtime win after Dyson Daniels misses two free throws to give the Lakers the opportunity. Daniels was who the Pelicans selected with what would have been the Lakers pick last year. So lots of integrated storylines. And, and fun angles to this D, but boy, did that one feel good to get. So, look, normally you kick it to me. I want to hear from Mike. Mike was in the damn building. Must have been I so am fun. the one who was yeah. guilty as charged for sending the I am expletive so pissed text <laughs> message that was in the thread because I was. Yeah. The Lakers looked like they were going to give away a game and, and Mike, they were in firm control. But it's games like this where I really want the in-building, on-the-ground point of view about the game because like both in the another massive run, but then also like the giving it away and then the like clutching victory back from the jaws of defeat, like the whole entire thing. So talk to me about what it was like in the building, because I can only imagine it was crazy. This is going to be one of those trees where I've got seven branches and I'm just going to at some point cut myself off and kick it to Pete because. Take as long <laughs> as you want, man. Grow that tree. I mean, the first thing I want to get to is Darvin Ham. Because I thought there were a lot of important and interesting decisions that he made that I think are ultimately very productive for the team. And so the ATO to get Matt Ryan the look in the first place. So that that was something that was great. We can get to we can get to that. That was pretty obvious. He drew up a good play and it got executed. And that, that kind of stuff is important. The players have been talking about his ATOs even in, in training camp, and he he had forgotten his 
or he left his card almost, I think, intentionally in the locker room, a, a card some coaches keep that has different plays on it. And this was one that he just kind of came to in the moment and he decided to put Matt Ryan in. And so that was one inter- interesting thing. The biggest thing, though, I think is the way that he has spoken about Westbrook, which we've talked about, and the fact that he has somehow gotten Westbrook to buy in and to be kind of a different player than he showed that he could be at all last season. That, to me, was a is something that's lifted the team the last two games and directly helped them to a win. And then, even while doing that, he still had the stones to not put him back in late which which ended up looking like it could have been a tricky decision had they lost that game but instead he goes with pat bev who makes a couple of big plays late i know there's one play that darius didn't love that patrick beverly made (laughs) we can we can get to that but he made a lot of plays and and so just essentially kind of having enough command and buy-in on the team and then making a lot of the right types of decisions for playing time like featuring lonnie walker and troy brown jr the two 23 year old wings who have been really good collectively even if walker has had some shooting struggles up until this point where he goes five for nine from three and they've been a little bit better just in general since troy brown jr came back and that's not even getting to anthony davis and kind of where he's at with his back and especially lebron james who was sick and played like it and acknowledged it after the game he was not good for much of it and yet he still because he's lebron eight assists to two turnovers, right? A couple of blocks, like 10 rebounds. He, some some finishing at the rim when he couldn't get his jumper to fall. Last game, he wasn't finishing at the rim. So a lot of things, Pete, but I did, I did want to start with Darvin because I think that his imprint on what the team is now is easy to see. And it's something that I think can be sustainable, you know, based on the way that he has guys buying into the types of decisions that he's making. I love that we're starting with Darvin. Uh, the other day, I was really struck, and just this week in particular, I've been struck by the decisions he has to make on the lineups, on who fits and who doesn't. When you have so many players that are within fairly close to each other in terms of talent, it becomes a lot about fit. And I, I ran this, uh, I, I went to this uh, calculator type site be- because the way I see it, guys, is there's three spots coming into the season that were locked in. There is LeBron and Anthony Davis and also Max Christie on the other side, meaning that I'd be very surprised if there was any version where he was in the rotation. But that leaves you three open spots in the starting lineup at the very least and 12 different guys of relatively close talent. That's 220 different combinations that you could have right there. But you only have 82 games, right? And so one of the things I've been super impressed by, Mike, you really touched on there is that idea of cycling through your different options and landing on the right ones. I've been so impressed by the speed with which he's gone, okay, this works. Okay, we're going to try this. That didn't work. Okay, but this Troy Brown hits four threes and gets eight rebounds the first time he starts on a team that can't make threes and can't grab rebounds. D that was an instant you're hired type of moment. And he ain't been out of the starting lineup since. And so and but also recognizing, yeah, Kendrick Nunn had a great summer and a great camp and played well in the preseason. But by the time the games have started, We've been really bad in those minutes. Damian Jones has been supplanted by Wenyan Gabriel. And then the most important uh, of which Mike hit on, Russ coming off of the bench, which I think we've seen him given command of a unit that is the closest thing to what Russ has always done. And if you're a coach, that's your job is to get the best that you can and the most that you can out of your players. I also think there are lessons ahead in that 
Russ didn't play down the stretch last night. And our, our offense in the last five minutes of, of regulation was really bad. We can't blame Russ for that, right? Like we have other, I think a lot of times we can put things on Russ, Russ's shoulders that are not necessarily him. And so I think putting guys into the correct position, uh, D, I think really, I'm just super impressed by what Darvin's been able to do, cycling through so many options, just seven games into the season when he had so many different combinations that he could go to. So I'm glad that both of you guys or Pete, especially you have been highlighting some of the tactical things and like the decision making around that stuff, because I'm going to pivot back to some of the stuff that Mike was talking about. And that's like one of the most important jobs you have as a head coach. And I've said this a bunch is building and maintaining buy-in, right? And I've always said that like every business is a people business, but I think that like the NBA and like your relationships, they matter. And the players trust Darvin. They trust him. They trust that he's looking out for their best interests. And I'm not sure if that's true across all 30 teams, but I would venture to guess that it's not. That not all players feel like their head coach has their best interests at heart. And maybe there's a couple of guys on this team that are maybe a bit disgruntled, but that's going to happen on any NBA team, Mike. But you had a great walk-off interview, Mike, with Lonnie Walker yesterday. And Lottie, he <laughs> offered a couple of colorful quotes, and those were great. But I'm going to go back to some media availability that Lonnie had, I want to say yesterday or the day before, where he was talking about how it just feels great when your head coach trusts you and he believes in you, and then you want to go out there and perform for him. And that's been a common theme, I think, amongst all of the players. Like I've heard Matt Ryan say similar things. Russ has said similar things. And Russ was almost parodying some of the stuff that Darwin was saying the other night in Russ's next media availability before the game, right? Where he's basically like, I think this is best for the team and I'm going to find a way to like, and this is all stuff that Darvin has been saying. And so you could tell that his messaging is getting through to guys and that they want to do the things that he is asking them to do. And it even comes up, Mike, in things like what AD is saying, where he's talking about defense, defense, defense. And that's exactly what the head coach has been preaching since the day that he was hired. Is that is that it's going to be defense, defense, defense. And so I'm I am super happy with what Darwin has been able to accomplish. And and I agree with what you're saying, too, Pete, that he I think he has taken the right amount of time with each of the things that needed to happen. Some things did need to happen quickly. That's right. And some things maybe couldn't have happened as quickly as fans or outsiders would have wanted it to happen. Also right? correct. And yes. I think the Russ benching or mm -hmm. moving to, to the bench thing is probably one of those things. It would have been, I think, really tricky for Darvin to preach his support for Russ as vocally and as like in front of it as he has since the day that he was hired, only to come into training camp and say, but you're coming off the bench. And maybe the Lakers lost some games because of that early in the season. They also lost some games because they couldn't throw a pee into the ocean, as our guy Chick Hearn used to say. But it's that balance, guys. And, and so I'm I'm also glad that that we started off with Darvin 
I'm interested though to hear in what else stood out to both of you guys yesterday because because I have some ideas but but where are you guys at just just in terms of like trends but also specifically from uh, the New Orleans game. I love our defense. Like I I think our defense is legitimate um, and the ability to guard up. Uh, Anthony Davis is the best defensive player in the world again and is playing like it despite having a bad back. It's it's so funny. My expectations of AD are so high, Mike, in that he's defending like that. He's leading the still the second defense, second best defense in the NBA. Could you imagine if we went back to this summer and one of us said, all right, guys, I've been to the future. We're seven games in. Lakers are second in the NBA in defense. But, oh, we're five and two, right? No, no, we're actually two and five. What? But the fact that we are building that foundation, I said that all summer, Mike, that idea that we have to build a credible defense first. We're more than credible, I think. We're we're actually a legitimately good defense. Lonnie Walker on defense is something that has stood out to me in that like he was on CJ McCollum for a good portion of last night. McCollum finished, I think, 10 for 27 from the field. Obviously, they had no B.I., no Herb Jones. But Lonnie's athleticism is something that Pat Bev can't replicate. Uh, Austin Reeves can't replicate. Russ does it in a different way in that he's stronger. So Russ was assigned to Zion for parts of last night, right? And has been like front in the post. And I don't know. I love it. This I, I geek out on the small ball defense type of stuff. But Lonnie's ability to really back up his statement, I'm here to play defense, Mike, I think really changes the perimeter dynamic in a way that all of a sudden you've got that going on on the perimeter and then you got AD doing his thing on the interior. That's just the big thing that stands out to me. I think our defense is the real deal. Yeah, so this is this does tie in also to Darvin Ham, um, as, as we've already linked, but the athleticism, not just with Walker, but like, so Beverly isn't athletic in the sense of, relative to other NBA players, but he, the way that he competes and kind of what he makes up for mentally by being in the right spots Mm -hmm. still contributes to the defense. So he doesn't, his not having that athletic pop doesn't detract in that way. Yeah. It's one of those things. If you have that mental anticipation, you can start moving toward the ball a half second before anyone else does. And you might not be faster than them if you start at the same time, but if you're starting earlier than they do, it has the same functional advantage of athleticism. And there are parts of that with AD where he's got he has all of that. And so when his back is hurting him and when he's not as mobile, he's a step ahead, yeah. which then ends up serving the same purpose. And Troy Brown has made a big difference in that context. So there there are a lot of there are a lot of guys personnel wise that even though they aren't necessarily big overall upgrade type of individual players from what was on the roster last year, they just fit what the needs are better and they fit what the coach wants to do and they fit the way that the system is or Darvin Ham took those guys and put them in. However, it, however it's happened, it just makes some more sense defensively. Yeah. It's, it's usually both. So that's the part that I think is sustainable um, as the season goes on. And then they're, they're getting to places where they're starting to figure out offense more and, the way I would put it is there the coaches have a, a couple of different stats that they use and some of them are available for us to look up and some of them they they keep as kind of proprietary stats but essentially just shot quality and they've had elite shot quality all season long and even for guys that it's it, this goes back to the LeBron James comment about the lasers like in in my whole thing about the difference between 33% and 37% and it's as usual it's somewhere in between but they were really not as bad as they shot the first couple of games, not, not individual players, not as a team. 
And some of those were going to get close at least to average, which, by the way, happened last night where they, again, did not shoot particularly well. From three, they finish up 10 for 26, which is 28%. But even that, the difference between that and two, like two more misses, which is what would have happened a week ago, that's the loss. Yep. So in two more makes, they win the game by 10. You know, mm-hmm. and that's where some of those other games were. So it's just the the range of what the makes and the misses are. The point is they're getting good looks. They're making extra passes for the most part. They don't have that many guys that are that are just handcuffing the offense and going off on their own. So the the ultimately where this team goes, it's the defense stays where it is. And then they just get a little bit more crisp. The shots go down a little bit more. Darvin really figures out the personnel, which he's again, he's done quicker yeah. than I think that some might have even expected. And, you know, that's that's the path to being a decent team that's battling, you know, in that playoff mix. And, you know, maybe as one move away, even if it's a slightly different move from what from what we right. thought originally um, from actually being something. I'm super happy that you brought up A.D. Pete. Um, I said this online, but I'll repeat it here for the pod because you mentioned the A.D. is the best defensive player in the world. He is first in the NBA in deflections mm-hmm. and he's doing that as a center. Right. He's top 10 in both steals and blocks as a center. He's sixth in the NBA in rebounds per game, but he's actually first in contested rebounds. And so I know contested rebounds is Mm. something that is super interesting to you, Pete, because that just Mm -hmm. means like, where are you in a crowd? How are you leveraging your physicality and AD, even with a hurt back, he is going up there. And he is doing his thing with that. I think he's like seventh or eighth in box outs per game as well. And so he is he is doing the dirty work, right? But he's also fourth in contested shots per game. And so he is he is just showing a level of activity defensively that with his tools and his instincts, um, he had a great steal where he's baiting guys into making pocket passes. And he does this like once a game, he is baiting guys into making pocket Mm -hmm. passes. And then he is getting down and getting deflections or getting steals. And he is, the Lakers aren't a great offense, but they can win games offensively if they are getting more possessions than you. And AD is getting like three offensive rebounds a game. He's mm-hmm. getting a couple of steals and a couple of blocks a game. And he is finding ways to help the Lakers win in the areas where only he can. And it's super important for this team. So I'm happy that you brought up AD. And I think Darvin sort of finding the ways to optimize him as a center yeah, it's super important. And, and, and so props to AD for how he's played to start the season, particularly defensively. Let's take a break. I want to get more into why AD has been so dominant on that end. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So one of the bigger surprises of the beginning of the year is that AD has played all of his minutes at the five spot. We anticipated coming into this season that it would be more of a mix similar to previous seasons, but nope, it's been 100% at the five spot. And the five spot in Darwin's system defensively has a lot on it, has a lot of responsibilities. But I would argue that Anthony Davis is exactly the person that you want in that type of role. Uh, So what that what the five does your five is normally involved in the most number of ball screens in the pick and roll game that the other team is running he's normally going to be the player that's that's hedging as the guard comes off of the screen and Darius just described an example where AD will come up and you think oh well he I've got the roll man roll into the basket let me throw this little bounce pocket pass and get it through but AD can still get down low and knock that away if the Roll man gets downhill and the guard, the guy with the ball gets downhill too. AD can backpedal and jump. And we've seen him knock away passes to that lob guy as well. And so that to me, Mike, is that whole like being in two places at once thing that I like to talk about with AD. And one of the things that I love about this defensive system is it really puts AD in a position to do that. And, and so what the, the functional effect that has on the defense is that the thing that's supposed to be open on this action, like, oh, the, the big man comes up too high. That means that we've got a, a roll to the basket that's going to be a lob. Not with Anthony Davis. The the You're playing a little bit smaller, but and you've got your guards cracking down on a 6'7", 6'8", wing. But then there's Anthony Davis coming from the weak side to grab that contested rebound 11 and a half, 12 feet above the rim, even with the, the bad back. And so that I've... Talk to me about what you've seen, Mike, about AD on the defensive end in particular, because I, I think he's like he's the early leader for DPOY right now. Yeah, that's the type of award where the team has to have a certain level of success. But of if the Lakers had if their record was if they had just pulled out, you know, as we get into if ands and buts. But agreed, he has played the best defense. Well, we got one of those back last night, Mike, right? Like the games that we let slip away that we lamented. I think that uh, we got on the other side of the coin last night. Sort of. Uh, you, they also should not have been in the game. The game should not have been that close. They should yeah, have Yeah, we should talk about away. that later too. Yeah, good point. Well, but this is related to AD though. The stretch mm-hmm. that New Orleans made their big run was when AD was on the bench. Mm-hmm. And this was the one spot where I kept looking over to the sideline and thinking, is it Darvin? Uh, you going to put AD back in the game here mm-hmm. because he, his minutes were relatively low. And this is where you have to start to think about the back and managing it and not extending him. But he, I think, let's see. So AD ends up playing 37 minutes in an overtime game. So he would have played 32 and that is low in this type of a game, considering what the Lakers front line is that, and the minutes that he the minutes that he oftentimes returns for would be like to start that fourth quarter. And that was the stretch that Jose Alvarado and part of the end of the third essentially just was killing the Lakers. And it was a combination of getting into the paint. And this is when it was LeBron and Wendy Gabriel and Alvarado was on the perimeter hitting a bunch of threes, but it was Zion and them going over and over and over to the same play, which is basically Zion 
get the ball on the right elbow and then just go to your left and do Zion things that nobody can stop. And, and that's what he did. And he kept doing it repeatedly. And the one guy that can at least deter it some, and as we saw later in the game was Anthony Davis. So short term that a, it shows AD's value and that stuff just doesn't happen that often if he's on the court and B what do the Lakers do when he's not on the court and they're playing these lineups that don't include the traditional center, but like even if Gabriel's giving you some win protection, it's just different, right? It's different. So of course, that to me is it's both shows AD's value and also gives a, a major concern for when AD is off the court and, and teams you know have players that can do certain things. One of the things that I also want to highlight that is in AD's skill set that is important is we talked a lot about how he can be the weak side player guarding two when he is um, playing power forward more. Well, one of the ways that that still comes into play when he's the center is when you're playing a team like New Orleans and you want to keep the ball out of Zion Williamson's hands and you have Russell Westbrook on him or even you have LeBron James on him. And Pete, you have highlighted this on on several pods, but the Lakers have been fronting the post a ton when they are guarding up. This is how you do it. LeBron had a great possession against Jokic in the Denver game where he basically worked his ass off to front the post against Jokic to deny a post touch. And it was the play that ended up with Michael Porter Jr. shooting a force three late in the clock that was basically an air ball and then mm-hmm. the Lakers secured possession. And that was a critical defensive stop that that the Lakers got. LeBron was fronting the post against Zion last night too. And so was Russell Westbrook. And anyone basically that had a size disadvantage on the Lakers when they were guarding up, they were fronting the post. Well, when AD is in the game, AD is again playing two, right? Because he is, he has responsibilities for the lob over the top when it's obviously when it's not his man who was trying to make the entry pass, right? Mm -hmm. And so there were plenty of times where Zion looked like he was open, but it was AD the guy that AD was guarding was in the dunker spot or he's in the weak side corner and there's AD lurking. Like, you sure? You sure you want to throw that lob over the top to try to, to hit Zion Williamson because he's he's stepped up and pushed Russell Westbrook up towards, towards the elbow? Nope. Mm-hmm. That entry pass never developed and Zion never caught an over-the-top lob like that all mm-hmm. night, I, I don't think. And it was on many of those possessions, it was because AD was the guy there who was lurking. And That's right. His his feel as a defensive player is just elite. And when you add that with his tools, he he has just been a top tier player to pivot to the offense, though. This is where I agree with Mike. Like, I think that the Lakers are finding some things. And and, and Pete, I want to kick it to you here because I think a key part of finding some things has actually involved Russ. And what he's done with some of the second units and his pushing of the pace, his hunting of shots, the way he's playing and navigating the pick and roll as a passer, particularly in his partnership with LeBron, where LeBron is the screener. So what have you seen in some of these actions that involve Russ and and how have you think the Lakers have sort of adapted some of their bench units in order to be some of their best units because that's where they are kicking other teams' butts, especially these last couple of games to get wins. I thought Russ's shifts last night were representative of the good and bad that uh, he can bring to the table 
in this current role in the first half, especially the second quarter. It's strange for a two and five team. I'm going to look this up. But in the last five minutes of second quarters so far this year, we are we're killing teams in that last stretch of the second quarter. We go into halftime on a decent run way more often than not. And Russ was right in the middle of that. And really, it's not so much about any actions or any like specific plays being drawn up, the pace that he's pushing things at as soon as he comes into the game. And I think that this is I think this is juxtaposed with a certain lethargy from LeBron when he's asked, especially early in the game, to kind of be that point guard that runs things. LeBron usually goes out around that seven minute or seven thirty uh, mark of the first and third quarter, and Russ comes in, and just the pace of the game just really lights up at that point. And so, so I think that the environment is. This is. I, I was saying all summer. This is a really conducive environment for somebody who can put pressure on the rim, who can really get by guys. Now I was really worried watching Russ the first couple of games. Like, oh, you're not getting by guys that you are normally able to do that with. But one thing that I've really seen again, rather than it being an X's and O's thing or anything like that, is they're really targeting physically weaker players when they're on the court, physically weaker guards especially, and having Russ go at them, and then that kind of starts the ball rolling of of the advantage that you can create. But on the flip side, I think we saw some of the dangers of that in the third quarter when Mike, they got back into that game with a 15-0 run. I believe it was a 15-0 run that happened over only a couple of minutes. And a big part of that was, you know, three turnovers from Russ in that. Uh, and we got very sloppy during that stretch. And so I think it also speaks to some of your point about when Anthony Davis is not on the floor, you don't have that guy who can take two things away and you just have normal basketball players, right, in, in those spots. And so I'm curious how that develops from both a lineup standpoint and even a roster standpoint, because one of the places that I keep arriving at is we need one more big and we need, I think, a skill guy. But that that to me is, I thought we saw a lot of the good and bad from those Russ-led units. But I think the fact that there are Russ-led units now, and we're even seeing a great deal of uh, we're seeing a great deal of uh, chemistry between him and LeBron when LeBron's setting screens for him. They got a good pick and roll game there too. There's things to build off of, but certainly uh, it's there are uh, there are places where it still gives us trouble. To stay on something with Russ, the way that Darvin is using him clearly works much better than him in a starting role and. You just described some of the reasons why, Pete. And I thought that just something to keep an eye on. So the way that he's playing, you don't want it to have to be like you don't want it to have to be incumbent upon Darvin to have to do certain things in order to keep Russ playing that way. And so Russ, after the game, did not seem thrilled in his postgame presser. And you never know exactly what that was for. Maybe he didn't like the specific questions that he got, uh, whatever it was, but the way that he played, you just that's the thing that you hope sustains itself. And and I think that it was a again, Darwin made the right choice for what he saw at the time and the way that the things ended up just the way that things matched up and the way that the offense was moving or lack thereof. So I just want that part to be to be consistent. And, and that's something that you, you haven't been able to count on for sure over the last calendar year and change. So I'm, I'm just curious to see how that is next game. You know, now that, now that when Russ was playing well, for the most part, even if things slipped off some in the second half and then Darwin went away from him, does he come up the next game mm. and bring the same type of energy to start the game that was working so well in the previous couple? 
Yeah, that was an interesting part of this D that like Russ played pretty well, right? And there have been other times where Russ did not close games, but it was usually because he was kind of on the fritz playing especially poorly. And this was not one of those games. But I would argue that on this team, there are going to be some nights where he can play perfectly fine and shouldn't be part of the closing five for a variety of reasons, right? Depending on the opponent matchup. And then there are going to be some nights where he absolutely should be. So I think that's an interesting question from Mike is that can how does Russ bounce back not being a part of that even in a game where he played totally fine yeah I would argue that for the most part he played well he played more than just fine right like I don't have the box score up in front of me but I would imagine he was close to a team lead in plus minus and Russ for the season he's actually um of the high minute players Mm -hmm. right he's leading the team in net rating Mm -hmm. like I think he has a plus 14 net rating for the season and 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 the Lakers are actually better (laughs) on both sides of the ball when Russ is on the floor right and so they're better defensively and they're better offensively and there's not a lot of guys on the Lakers that you can say that for the the same is not true of LeBron for example so just to give some context as to how Russ has played over the last several games, that's real and small, small sample size. It's early in the season. These these numbers will can and will fluctuate, right? But the fact is, is that this recent stretch from Russ has has been a positive. And so if he was a little frustrated last night, I get it. Yeah. Honestly. Like, because look, if we're being real, the Lakers shouldn't have lost that game. And one of the reasons why they should have lost that game is because LeBron didn't play very well. And LeBron was the first one to admit that because he said it right after the game. He was just like, he, he, first of all, he wasn't feeling well. And he said that he's basically been in bed sick. He missed the Halloween party at AD's, Mike. He, he was sick. Like I, I could see on his face um, when he came out. He came out late. He was like sweating. I mean, he was vi- like virus, like fever type sick. Mike. He missed a Halloween party. Anyone who follows LeBron knows that Halloween is probably one of his favorite nights of the entire year. This dude goes all out for Halloween and he missed it. And he missed it at AD's house. So LeBron didn't even have to host. You know, when you get to go to someone else's (laughs) house, you're going to turn up when it's time to like go to your other homie's house. Like, oh, I don't got to host. There's no cleaning up after for me. Like, fantastic. Let's let's go make it happen. So but. Down the stretch, LeBron, like, look, I thought he was making some questionable decisions in terms of offensive initiation. He was walking the ball up a bunch. The Lakers weren't playing with very much tempo. He was running possessions late into the clock. He mm-hmm. he didn't go to AD at all when I thought AD had some matchup advantages. Instead, LeBron was taking long jumpers against Larry Nance. Like, there was a lot of stuff where it's just like, hey... What's going on here? And Russ is on the bench watching it all as the lead goes from seven to five to three. Now New Orleans has the lead. Wait, we're going to lose? Right? Mm. Why do you think I was texting what, what I was texting to get back to the first part of the pod? And so if Russ was a little bit frustrated, I get it. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, but to speak to Mike's point, next game how is he going to come back and how is he going to respond? And like, I'm going to give Russ the benefit of the doubt, right? Like he's in a role that just two days ago, he said like, this is, this is what's best. I think for me. And 
and for the team. And so, again, show me that that's actually true, right? And, and, and so I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt here. So in the big picture, I am interested to see where this team goes down the stretch. But they are figuring out a formula that seems to be working for them. And they are winning in more portions of the game than you would mm-hmm. expect for a team that is that is two and five. Pete, I was looking up some game flow stuff from Popcorn Machine, and I was looking up those second quarter stretches that that you were talking about, and you're not wrong. Like, oh, like, it look oh, like? Look, oh, it looks great. Like 17 to two run, like, oh, over like a four minute stretch, like the last two minutes of the Warriors game, like, oh, a little 7-0 run, like in mm-hmm. the first Denver game, last minute in the half, they they went on a quick run to tie the game up. And, and and there's only been, I think, one out of the seven games where they have not had a stretch like that at some point in the last four to five minutes of the first half. That's starting to translate to other parts of the game as well. And Russ is a big part part of that. AD is a big part part of that. And to get back to sort of, I think, one of the overall all themes of this specific pod, Darvin Ham is a big part of that because he's mm-hmm. the one who is pulling the strings and pulling the levers and putting guys in those positions to succeed, Mike. Yeah, so t- we started with Darvin and just to wrap there in accordance with Westbrook. Kind of what I'm getting at with the postgame stuff with Russ is that the team, if they're really going to trust Darvin and go that route and kind of build that, build that cohesion, then if Russ doesn't like that he was subbed out, and, and I get that. You guys know that I am one of the more competitive people. And so any kind of little thing where you <laughs> feel like you could have done something or you could have of won, course. even if you're wrong, it's still part of the job to then – embrace the team concept after and to to keep that positive feeling especially after a win and there have been guys over the years that i obviously i do a lot of the post-game interviews and there are some guys that if they lost if the team lost but they had a great individual game they were fine and then there are other guys where if they had a great individual game and the team lost they were devastated and obviously we know which one of those types of guys ends up ultimately helping the team more Uh, and this is not just specifically directed at Russ. I, again, the play on the court, he deserves a lot of credit for uh, for making this type of change. But that other element that has to come with that is the is to not have the heaviness and to put the heaviness on a coach to to put the type of pressure on. Well, I'm going to act a certain way if ultimately it isn't rewarded. The, like the play isn't rewarded with certain things that that might be expected and. Again, I don't want to read too much into one post game. It could have been about something else. Who knows? But that's that's why seeing the next game and seeing this continue and seeing him be in that role, I think, is just very important because that gives the Lakers a much better shot than if if that other type of thing that we saw more last year comes out, then the season is doomed, you know, up until the point of some type of trade happening. And so positive directions in, in, in for Russ, certainly just something that, I, that to keep an eye on. Absolutely. We're not out of the woods on a, a multitude of things. That's one of the fascinating parts about an NBA season. But I do think we're putting more and more of those puzzle pieces together. So we'll be back tomorrow to talk more about it. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Here by McLaughlin. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Yeah.
Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Shot with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.